Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Proper Class Podcast. I'm Laura Checkley. And I'm Hannah Chiswick. And we are of course here to celebrate all things working class because if we don't, who the bloody hell will a no one? So love it or shove it, we're doing it. Dear God. As always, we sit down with a working class hero to celebrate their life and achievements and discuss just how they got to where they are today. So, on that note, who are we celebrating this week, Law? Actually, I feel very lucky to have this week's guest with us, because let me tell you, this legend right here is what one might call comedy royalty. <laughs> he is a stand-up comedian, a writer, a bloody good actor, and someone I am lucky enough to call a friend. We are friends, aren't we? No, cool. Yep, no, colleague is fine. I'll, I'll take that. Oh dear, how awkward. <laughs> Actually, while we're on the subject of friendships, I could probably do without your 10-minute voice notes. Yeah, I have got other things to do in the world. Oh, right. Maybe we won't air our dirty linen in public. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to think about our dirty linen? Oh, Christ, this week's not guest. me. <laughs> not this... my ass. Oh, my Lord, back to it. This week's guest burst onto the comedy scene in the early 90s, winning the Time Out New Act of the Year with his musical character, Tommy Cockles. Shortly after that, he went on to tour the UK before joining forces with Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer on Big Night Out. After which, he went on to appear as a regular in Saturday Zoo, creating what Wikipedia calls, and we all know that's always correct, a groundbreaking rapping character called Ice Pick. Actually, uh, on the subject of Wikipedia, it says he even collaborated with the Transit Kings on their song, The Lighthouse Keeper. I, mean, I don't know that song, but it sounds pretty impressive. Uh, blimey, is there anything he can't do? Answer is, well, bloody no. This man has a CV as long as your arm. So for fear of being here till the small hours, here are just a few of the shows you may know him from. Hit it, Han. Deep breath. Right. Well, shows such as BBC Comedy Grass, which he co-wrote, the Alexi Sale Show. He also co-wrote and starred in the cult hit mockumentary Life of Rock with Brian Penn. Keep going. He's been in shows such as The Windsors, Harry and Paul, Jumpers for Goalposts, Cradle to the Grave. Weren't you in that and all? I was, yeah. Boomers and Zapped. We only get guests on that I've been in stuff with just so we can talk about me. That's going to be a small pool. 
turns out he's also a dab hand at the straighter stuff too, appearing in hit dramas like Death in Paradise, Pennyworth, Jonathan Creek and Skins, and not forgetting his brilliant film work too, Shakespeare in Love and Run, Fat Boy Run, to name but a few. In 2012, he published his autobiography, Comedy and Error, They Really Were Marvellous Times, and also that same year presented his own series for Radio 4. But no doubt you'll probably know this week's guest best for being part of the multi-award winning sketch show that ruled British comedy throughout the 90s and still, in my opinion, stands up today as one of the best sketch shows ever to have graced our screens. It is, of course, The Fast Show. And I've got to say, as a kid growing up, admiring this man's work, it is nothing other than a bloody honour working and starring alongside him in our BBC sitcom, King Gary. Everyone, please give a warm, proper class podcast welcome to the comedy legend that is a Simon Dow. That was a mouthful. I mean, it was knackering just reading everything you've done. I can't imagine what it was like doing it. All. Sounds like I've, got, I've had a real career, doesn't it? When you actually, when you list it all. But you have. Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, you it's, have. it's quite impressive when you hear it all it's like that. Very back. Impressive. And that's probably actually only half of it because. Like yeah, they all, uh, yeah. There's a few things missed out, and there's a few things in there where you think, why do they put that in there? I know it's hard to pick out what one might think was better than the other. Yeah. yeah. So how's it been going? How are you? I'm all right. Yeah, good. Yeah, being yeah. a dad at home, me two kids, driving my son around to play football. Yeah. yeah. And um, <laughs> I've done a bit, a few bits of bobs, and doing some writing at the moment. I'm writing this foot thing about football, about kids' football. Yeah. And doing a few gigs. Oh, you're gigging again. Or yeah, I did a few again. one-offs. It's like you say yeah to these gigs, and then suddenly it's like, oh, I've got to do it on Wednesday. And uh, I did, I, I, I did in Manchester. I went up there. I did four characters. So I've got four outfits, <laughs> four wigs, moustaches. I've got all this. I mean, just remembering everything. And I got then. It was like a sort of a little comedy club with a tiny stage, and everyone eating pizzas. And I was like, why am I doing this? And then it was the night Barry. It was the night Barry Cryer died. Aww. And, I, and it was kind of poignant, you know, because I remember he came up to me in 1990 and went, Simon, oh, I love Tommy Cockles, I think it's great. And I thought he was talking to someone else. I thought <laughs> I thought he literally, I turned around, I thought, who's he talking to? Uh, and uh, I kind of thought that's, you know, I've, I was out there working on, on the boards, you know, when the great man passed away. So, yeah, that was, that was uh, interesting. Having spent so long, like, you know, gigging over the years, do you find it hard to keep still, like, and wait for the phone to ring? I know I do, like, having done the live circuit and then going, oh, now I need just to sit yeah. back and... It's I think hard it's to... difficult doing those sort of gigs one-off, doing four mm. characters. You know, it was tiring. You know, by the, I'm doing 20 minutes of each one. By the last one, you're like, I just, I don't really want to do this one. I know, well, you're not you're 20 anymore. You're just want to have a lean on the wall and sort of <laughs> talk. Where are you from? But, you know. Most of the time, we start uh, the podcast by asking okay. our guest if they could take us back to somewhere that sort of really resonates with their working class past. Where where would you take us to? Okay, I was going to take you back in time to my <laughs> mum's mum's house, my nan's house in Kenilworth in the Midlands in Warwickshire, outside toilet. Um, and she used to get the coal in every day, and she never stopped working. My mum's mum, we we wouldn't lift a finger when we were there. Me and my brother, you know, and uh, yeah, it was just, you know, it was all about food, really. It was all based around food. You have a chip pan on the on the oh, on lovely. the on the hob, which you never change the oil, never washed. Never yeah, my washed. nan never washed yes, her pans. Yeah, and she'd make eggy fingers uh, <laughs> and homemade chips. She'd make, and then Sunday you'd have roast beef, and it would be like this really nice bit of beef, absolutely s- obliterated, just black. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I just think, it, 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 it seemed not yeah. at the time, it seemed completely normal. You're just eating charcoal. Yeah. Uh, all the veggie out of the garden, but again, boiled away to, <laughs> yeah. to nothing. No flavour, yeah. And then homemade puddings like egg, egg, egg custard oh. and jam roly poly. She'd make her own jam and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, just that, 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 you know, we'd go to every weekend or every other weekend, we'd go up there and they had a thing where you pump the water out of the the yard and got a bucket of water and they had the outside toilet and yeah. the heating they didn't have central heating and yeah so when you said oh she used to go and get the coal what would it be out based out in the back garden no, she, and you bring she it in or like, like the bunker and the coal man comes and drops the, the coal oh, in wow. and they go like that with the coal scuttle and they throw it in the thing she, I mean obviously we'd do it if we were there we'd help but well we wouldn't help actually but <laughs> they'd try and make us help but uh, yeah and um, that was live and she'd scrub the step as well yeah my nan used to scrub the step that was a thing, wasn't it? I actually saw a man, um, something about it was really heartbreaking. I was walking from King's Cross down to Angel and there was a guy doing his doorstep, scrubbing his doorstep and sweeping out the front, like oh. in King's Cross. And it was just something about it. And he was an old fella. Oh, dirty in half hour. The, yeah. I just thought like, it was all this traffic coming along and it was filthy. It was like a main road, but he was still doing his step that obviously yeah. he'd seen. But that's a working class pride, isn't oh, it? I think. Yeah, yeah. Like, his, so, absolutely. His kingdom. We could, we, I grew up in a very clean household because having clean clothes having clean things meant I think we thought meant wealth like if you looked well turned out no one would know you ain't actually got any money Mm. but yeah it's it's, it's interesting that talk to me about the outside toilet I I had a mate who still had one but we didn't I didn't grow up with an outside loo did you not shit yourself going out in the night I used to like it because it was a bit weird out there but it was freezing cold yeah. You wouldn't go out and hang out in there. You'd probably go out there not for for a number two, just for a number one. Sometimes you have a number two if you're trying to get away from your family, you know. Yeah. But <laughs> all these cobwebs and sort of old newspapers. Quite spacious, though, but yeah. freezing cold yeah, yeah. when you sat down. Yeah, you wouldn't go out there unless yeah. it was necessary, would you? Not my really. neighbour had an outside loo when I was growing up. Yeah, my, she didn't have any inside loo. Yeah, my mum's friend did. So when we went round there, I used to experience it. But I'd never go down there in the night. I found it terrifying. Surely no one. People got don't an look out. They don't look no. after their outside loos as much. I found, sort of what? like they just didn't clean it as much. And like you said, cobwebs. No, yeah, and it was just like, sort of well, left, it wouldn't it? She just wouldn't go of... out and scrub that. No, you're quite right. She'd probably sort of be a little less. Yeah. But I think also it was that a lot of these lights being turned off and all that. Yeah. It's blazing all on that. The whole house is blazing. It's like, <laughs> turn all the, I do that now. I turn all yeah, the, I the turn, lights Yeah, I go around on. turning lights off. My yeah. missus doesn't, she never now. does it. Yeah. Sure, Fuel prices turning other people's lights off. <laughs> so, did you grow up in London though? So, where did you I grow up? I grew up in London, yeah. It was quite a weird one for me because my mum was working class and my dad was sort of middle class. I think he'd like to have been posher than he really was. But his dad was just a builder who sent his kids to the public school, right. private school. Oh, wow. So when you find when you start examining it, I used to be obsessed with it all because I was a big fan of the jam. And I mean, I don't think people realise how much we talked about class then. I when, yeah. when we were young, we all working class and being posh was a sort of he's posh, and and it was a big sort of problem, wasn't it? You yeah, know. So yeah. I was a bit bit of a mockney when I went to my secondary school. I was a bit of a mockney, you know, because I didn't want to get bashed up, and I do all the comedy routines too. Right. But our house was a bit strange because you had these two completely different sort of upbringings. You know, my mum and my dad, totally different. She was a nurse. She she was going to go to university and they said, no, you've got to get a job, you've got no yeah, money, you know. Yeah, yeah. So she just moved to London and married someone. That's what you did then. Yeah. Regardless of whether you really got on with them. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then you toughed it out for 20, 15, yeah. 10 years, then got divorced, you know. Where were you in London? Uh, um, Blackheath. Oh, Blackheath. Yeah. Blackheath's very nice now, and it's it, like Beautiful. Beautiful. Beautiful, yeah. I, I mean, grew it's... up in Greenwich. I was in Westcombe Park. I know. Which is, like, again, yeah. quite posh now, isn't it? It wasn't, though. So when I say that, people go, oh, you grew up in Greenwich. But my parents moved there in the 70s because it was like the cheapest place in London to live. Greenwich was. Now, you couldn't buy a shed in Greenwich. No. I mean, it's so expensive. It's like East Greenwich and West Greenwich as well. Yeah. East Greenwich was rough. But, uh, yeah, but I lived all around there, Deptford, New Cross, you know, all around South East London. And how, how um, did you go to school there? How was school for you? Yeah, I, went to, I had a nice primary little primary school. We used to skip along to the primary school and then I went to Thomas Tallis, which was... Oh, there. my God! So did I. Oh, here we go! So oh, my I. God! That's I amazing! I can't believe it. Yeah, that's when it all kicked off. My parents broke up and that sort of addiction kicked off there at Thomas wow. Tallis. What, like 15? You know, sort of. When I was 15, 16. It's yeah. just blowing my mind. Because obviously yeah. that's the same as me, Ferrier, all of oh. that stuff. I mean, now I drove positive. I mean, it's... They've levelled it. Oh, yeah. it's really like posh, all these and new they, builds. They and, it all, yeah. But it was really rough. I always say that the only thing our school's famous for, well, obviously is you, somewhere, but I didn't know that, and the shoe bomber. The shoe bomber, the shoe bomber yeah. Bomber, no, yeah. I, I, I'm always <laughs> looking up going, famous, and it goes, Robert, the shoe bomber. That's it. Nothing about me in there. It's a great, it's a great old them. boy, isn't it? Like Daddy's College, they say sort of, oh well, Rudyard Kipling, you know, who is your old boy Thomas Ellis, the shoe bomber? <laughs> I mean, they said it all. Oh yeah, and Owen oh, Simon Day is also, <laughs> you know. I know you said obviously you went off the rails when your parents split up and stuff, but were you academic at all no, to begin not at with? No, I was dyslexic. Really? Yeah, yeah. All the, and all the other things that went with attention deficit disorder, which I just discovered through my son having him diagnosed. So it was then, so then I just kind of just got jobs, and it was there I kind of was spent a lot of time working class people. I didn't really knock around with my sort of lot. They were going to university. I then yeah. would get jobs and knock around, went down the pub and played pool, mm. light and bitter, and, and like, you know, rap. That's where I kind of got my sort of love of that sort of culture and, and and i think where i've got the experience to do those characters you know i because i just used to spend so much time in the pub yeah i've got a love of those sort of characters you know it's basically mm. the people who think on their feet you know <laughs> and and i'll get different jobs and they'd be like oh you know your, your, your parents are broken up and they'd say come and join the dance team and all that they, you some of them sort of got a whiff that things weren't because sometimes i was homeless for a bit you know in between and uh yeah and, and and it just made me laugh those sort of people i found to be more fun you mm -hmm. know they're more sort of generous more fun more sort of and, and colorful aren't they colorf colorful more colorful yeah like, yeah and a lot less judgment i think yeah well, i mean that might be unfair but that's not what we always speak about isn't it people just taking people as they are and going yeah. all right then. yeah exactly, and and, yeah, and exactly. totally flawed yeah. All yeah. at the same time, you know, like. <laughs> oh God, yeah. When did you? When did your love of comedy start? Then, so was it at school? Was it because you know a lot of people comedians start because they're unpopular, being bullied, or there's something yeah, there was, going well, on that, that I, they're hiding. I, I had that, and then I had the, the the only way, the only time me and my dad got on was watching comedy. Right. That was, yeah, that we didn't we we had nothing in common, and he and he, he was like, sit still, be quiet, we, you know, you're mad, because he, he was academic and very sort of strict and so yeah and, and i just grew up at the right time you know Malcolm and wise and all those incredible sitcoms you know steptoe and son and lightly lads and porridge the yeah, only fools and horses they, they they were kind of masterpieces you know to deficit part and just they were all working class 
stories, weren't they? Just yeah, ordinary yeah. working class life, just incredibly well acted and brilliantly scripted and very believable. You know, and all those, and, and like you said, and like characters like Fanny Falls and Horses, you know, yeah, yeah. characters like Trigger. I mean, you couldn't really describe that. <laughs> no, 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 no. And, and, and if you've worked on the council, you go in pubs and you get those people <laughs> like that who always call you by the wrong name or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the genius of that show. I don't think he gets enough credit, really, the guy that wrote that, because he wrote all that on his own. I mean, all the all, all the yeah. other ones were, were duos, weren't they? The, yeah, the other yeah. writers. Yeah. Dick Clement and Lafrenay. And... So, yeah, so I, I just loved that sort of... Yeah, sort of... I don't know, God knows why. I just thought it was like it's an amazing... It was an amazing culture and a high art, you know, and, and, yeah. and proper, totally. proper art. And so when did you, like, stand up and start doing it yourself? When did you think, right, OK, well, I've got I'd an so- idea for this, I'm going to do a gig or I'm going to... What happened? I'd sort of fallen out. I was working with a mate and he had his own gardening firm and it wasn't really working out and I was a bit like, what am I going to do? And then a mate of mine, he had a shop selling fireplaces, you know, and... They, uh, Jim and Bob, Vic and Bob, had moved to London. They lived above it. Uh, sorry, they worked above it. Next to right door to my it. house, I've just got to say. This Where's is that? really what? blowing my mind. <laughs> they li- they, where they worked and wrote was the top of my road, next to my house. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is literally so... Yeah. Well, Halcyon, what's it called? Yeah, they were in that alleyway yeah. by the station, and That's I live right, literally yeah. just around the corner. Oh, oh I never knew that. Yeah. So he said, you're funny, you should write something, blah, blah. And I, I just wrote a set with him, and he was... he Because I, you know, I do struggle with, with writing on my own. And, and he forced me to write it and bought the wigs and made sure I followed up and practised it. How amazing. Wow. Did a gig and, and Jim and Bob were judging it, talent night, and, I, and and they went smart, you know, you can come on tour with us. And I went on, just went on tour with them. We didn't do any circuit gigs. Bloody so it, hell. And that was terrifying. You know, yeah, I used I to die most nights. <laughs> you know, most nights you die, but after that, I wasn't really scared of anything, you know. I bet. Wow. Thousand really? people were all going, get off you cockney twat. <laughs> and all that, you know. Because uh, I did so many cockles, mainly. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it was really quick. To, ha- to have that, that was just luck. I mean, for them to come and move to London, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because they're from Darlington on Mid- Middlesbrough. Yeah. And they moved to South East London. Which and did, where did, I mean, they were always together. They weren't, like, separate, met on the circuit. No, Jim, Jim did his like... own show. He was at Goldsmiths, and he had, it was, like, three and a half hours long, and it had the toff <laughs> in it, and a bloke would come on and just smoke a pipe, and then the, the man with the ladder... And it was it was like one of those sort of prog rock albums. And then Bob used to come along and heckle. <laughs> right, and right. he said, you're funny, you know. And then Bob got involved and Bob was very instrumental and he, he cut it down, right. got rid of people. And, you know, he, this, it doesn't really work like this. And he, he was quite professional on that side of it. He's a bit more very shrewd. It wasn't long after that that they got the TV show, you know. How did you find that, like, you've sort of gone from nothing to, like, playing on like a big stage really yeah. for a novice yeah, you know, like, is, that, is that did that sort of add to all the stuff when you had all the stuff you had going on with your addiction all that do you feel like that just sort of fueled it no, like, just, yeah I just felt cocky all the time mm, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no I just felt I just felt it sort of just cheered me up really I didn't because my, my addiction then was fruit machines so I didn't really have a, any kind of other big problems at the time but right. before when you're when you're earning 100 quid a week fruit machines are a really bad problem because you're losing all your money yeah sure do you know what I mean once yeah, you start yeah, earning yeah. proper money I just stopped playing them because it was kind of like what's the point there's nothing it can give you in a way yeah no, there's, the, there's that, no yeah. there's no jeopardy is there no in between working with them suddenly I was just gigging again and that mm. and that can get you down a bit you know when you're just going around doing gigs yeah and then luckily the fire show come along so mm. 
So how soon after did the Far Show come after all that gigging then and with uh, Vic and Bob and stuff? Yeah, pretty pretty quick because they used to come and watch Jim and Bob and Charlie was involved with Jim and Bob and Paul. Charlie used to produce the shows and, you know, generally, generally sort of boss them around, you know. And um, Paul said, yeah, we're going to do a show one day. Mr. Day, you're going to get you in it. Characters, be funny. You know, I was like sort of in awe of him at that time, obviously, as, as, as you would be. And yeah, and it was made for me really because it was just short characters. They said, write whatever you want and we'll try and put it in, if it, 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 you know. And, and it was all those short sketches because I don't think I could, because I've been thinking about it. Because people go, oh, why don't you write like a drama? And why? I struggled to sit down for that length of time and do yeah, it. So yeah. for me, it was perfect. You know, oh, a bloke in a pub playing a machine and then. But in the 90s, pop. particularly, and 80s, I think, sketch scene was so huge, wasn't yeah, it? Because, yeah, yeah. you know, I grew up watching it. I think it's somewhat died out now a bit, and it's a sketch scene. But um, I mean, it's still happening, but it's not as popular. It was really big in the nineties. Yeah, French and Saunders, yeah. all of you, like exactly, far show, yeah. all sketch of you. Sketch shows, you just big, don't big know. Yeah. Sketch show, yeah. Big train, exactly. Oh. Well, they just... obviously put money when something's successful. They put money into it, don't they? And they try and they, they try and recreate that. Yeah. It's like after The Office, there were loads of sort of... Yeah, mockumentary yeah. type, yeah. Sort of quite, yeah. Almost exactly the same one, though. But not as good, obviously. But they, yeah, they, I don't know why the, the BBC, they always do that TV companies, you know, they have a hit show and they go, well, now we're going to make loads of shows like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it yeah, happens. Well, no, it's a hit because well, no one had ever seen it yet. So, obviously, we've like massively like put that all into a short amount of time, but you've gone from not that long ago, perhaps sofa surfing, being a bit homeless, but suddenly you're in like the biggest hit comedy hit on tv was that how was that suddenly people knowing who you were and like did it completely change your life well it's not first really no i was kind of carried on just being me and i didn't buy a house or anything for a long time i suddenly sort of looked around and everyone had bought big houses and i was like you're still living in a rented flat and going out in pubs in Greenwich with Malcolm Harder, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, this is not good. Then I met the missus, you know. Yeah. And and she, thank God, said, well, you know, get rid of him, get rid of him. That's what, you know, get rid of him. Yeah. And I bought, and we bought a place eventually. Well, I had a fact in Brighton, she that I bought. But, but yeah, it, I don't know, it just sort of happened. And when it was happening, it just seemed sort of normal. I mean, you do, some days you sort of pinch yourself. I just think this is crazy, you know. But it was sort of it just was just going. It just sort of went on, you know. It unfolded. And how did your like? Was your dad alive at that time? Did he see all of that happen? He he was yeah. How he did he change that, his yeah. mind about? Yeah, well, the only thing he really liked my dad was when I went on Celebrity Mastermind and I won that. Oh right, okay. What was your subject? Uh, Sopranos. Oh right, nice. <laughs> what a brilliant subject! Did you because he, he could get that. You see, he come and see me. Well, I, 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 well, I, I won, but only by default because the, the Sophie Grigson and Steve Harley from Cockney Rebel, they were they could have beaten me, but every time we got a question he didn't know, they went, "Oh, I know this one." Um, and if you just go past, wasted loads of time. You just get another yeah, yeah, question. Go, it's yeah, so go, obvious. Go, go, go. Plus, yeah. if you've done stand up, I can see they're really nervous. Yeah, but when you've done stand up. Doing that, it's not. It's just nothing's nerve wracking, is it? No, nothing no, is nerve wracking. No. Well, that's the best thing about it. Well, I, I, do, I would worry about looking like an idiot, but you know yeah. that's that yeah. me yeah. standard anyway. But but he loved that. He rang me up. I told him what he was on, and he rang me up. Well, yeah, he was. He, he loved that because he came to see me just after I started, and um, and it was typical. Even I came off stage, it was a student gig, wasn't very good, and he went, "No, oh, he said you said you didn't swear," you know, and he had a sort of go at me for swearing, and I was like. Oh, what have I got to do to, to impress this bloke? Yeah. 
you know, but that's your standard comics parents. Most comics don't yeah. have like a relationship with their parents, do they? Because well. it's quite an odd thing to want to do, isn't it, really? Love me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So now, obviously, you know, you're comfortable, yeah. presumably. Um, you've got, got your kids and whatever. How, <laughs> be, be, having that working class kind of upbringing, I know you had a lot of success quite early on and stuff, but, you know, would you, and I know you can look around and go, you're looking at it from a privileged point yeah. of view now. Do you still find yourself very much connected to your working class roots? Um, I don't really even think about it. You know, I mean, I, don't, I, I sort of, I, I don't know. I just, I don't think about it in that way you know because i didn't come from that sort of working class thing with with all the family around the piano and do you know what i mean <laughs> and, uncle, aunts and uncles yeah. it was never it was never really like that it was always quite strange because like i say with my mum being working class and my dad you know being sort of lower middle class whatever i see all the different classes there are in england so <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so no. i don't i don't really think about it. i do i do in terms of work there's not nearly as much stuff as there used to be on telly or or, or as much good stuff mm. on the radio or tv from working class writers yeah. Um, I, mean, I never that that thing. Oh, we I didn't go to the right university. I don't really believe that, and I, I think you can still have a perfectly good career without going to Cambridge. But, yeah. but, but still, I think it, 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 there was a time when it was a real 
seam, the rich seam of amazing sort of art, wasn't it? And it seems to have gone really. It's I do think it was gone. that collaboration between like the live scene, whether that was like even further back in like the working men's clubs, yeah. and then the comedy circuit. And I know they're different things. And then sort of people really honing their craft, trying stuff out. So by the time it hit the telly, it was in really good shape. It's a really good nick. People yeah. had found their characters like you had yeah. that they knew mm. and they worked and they were good at what they did. And and people really had to do that for a while for anyone to notice them. And it just doesn't have that live part. I think, obviously I'm not a comedian, but that live part just doesn't exist. And I think COVID has knocked the end of that off, but there's just not as many live... Even when you started law, I feel like people were gigging a lot more than they do now. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell, isn't it, now, because of COVID and stuff. But I do That's I do true. think there is a live circuit now. I just think it's shifted um, and it's not sustainable for working class people. That's I know part of it as well, certainly, you know, like talking about it being really prevalent in the 90s and the 80s, like, I think that the industry was quite saturated with working class, I you agree. know, like yeah. even with actors, Julie Walters and all of them lot, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and watching that as a kid, I thought there's a place for me. And then when I got onto the comedy circuit in the late, was it 2009 or whatever it's suddenly like really really middle class not suddenly but for me it was like a oh there's not a place for me and I'm, I'm being told I'm really coarse and and actually I was quite old-fashioned in my comedy but it's just because I we both spoke with a you know a working class accent so I found like it shifted and I do think there is a live scene now but I do think uh, it's harder for working class to see themselves getting in and it, because it's like it feels like a bit of a closed shop now yeah you really. don't get many working class sitcoms anymore do you no, I mean King Gary was 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 sort of was one, but yeah, really. But there was a big difference. The thing was it interesting to me was all those things Steptoe and Son, the Lightly Lads and Porridge and Dad's Army, how good they were. But you compare them to the programs that were on with the people like the comedians, and they were terrible. <laughs> those yeah. shows with people just coming on and telling the same jokes. I mean, they were just you know the, the comedy did have to change. So alternative comedy did did do that. It made it more intelligent and. You know, much less sexist and sort of repetitive, but I don't know. It, it, it's a funny time, really, because it's it seems to be expensive comedy, and 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 it, you don't know whether something's going to be a hit. Yeah. So they don't they don't put money into it. They're worried. They'd rather put money into a some sort of kid who make who, who keeps pigs and makes his own bacon. You know, <laughs> sort of charming, <laughs> Charlie, whatever. And then they do a cookbook and. You know, no, I'm serious, and, yeah, and they yeah, know no, what they're going to get. Get two million viewers, viewers for that, and we'll sell the cookbook. And it's not and about we'll... longevity anymore, is it? It's no. about sort of smash and grab a bit, and it? yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, I can make money here really, really quickly. Um, did you want to ask something? Well, I was just going to say, like, so you do the far show, and then obviously, but what was there a job that you did or an opportunity came along that you felt like really pushed you outside your comfort zone? It was like a completely different experience from like being on the comedy. The, the, the only thing that, that I did that was really outside my comfort zone was when I did uh, this play. This was a few years back, four or five years ago. It was, it was summer. And, and I got offered this play for sort of like uh, no money. It didn't matter. It was a really tiny well, thing. Welcome to the theatre. <laughs> it was called Waiting For, Waiting For Godot, right? And it was about two actors who were in the dressing room waiting to see whether they're going to go on stage. Oh, it's quite clever. That. that sounds brilliant. It was brilliant and it was very clever. And um, I did the normal thing. The guy sort of chose me, you know, he, he, he was a working, working class guy. He was from Lambda. He was sort of from Midlands. I did my normal thing. I didn't learn it, you know. I thought, well, I'll learn it in the two weeks before we start to play, you know. <laughs> Simon. So I get there and like, they're, all, they're all, like the other kid, there's just one other guy in there and he's completely off the page, you know, oh, this God. kid. <laughs> and, I, and it's all full of slapstick. 
it had lines where I'd say a line and the airing, the, the ironing board would fall down and then he'd jump over that and say this. And I, I just got really, because I hadn't learned it, I then, oh, I then went the wrong way and started going, oh, I'm really sorry, I should have learned this. And then he started <laughs> rehearsing for a week of walking around duck ponds and all that and saying, you're by the duck pond, there's something you really want to say to someone, but you can't say it, which I've never done. No, that's not for you, is no, it? It's no, it's not. And, and, and I was thinking, I was thinking can't, I, can't I learn the script? Because, yeah. you know. Just learn it and do it, please. By, yeah. pre by press night, we were all right. Let's just say that. But it was good. It was good. How did you find the theatre world? I, I, it was tiny, so it was nice. And I did. Right. I've done the Lady Killers before. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really good fun. But yeah. um, I just didn't have enough to keep me interested. So yeah. you, it's a bit like doing it in your sleep. And in general, if you've done stand up, it's very hard to do theatre. You get bored. You know. Yeah. The, the idea for me, I always did because I started in theatre. But the idea of doing a long run to me seemed like hell. You never liked yeah. that, though, Never did you? liked it because... I remember, like, we did a lot of shows together, didn't we? And you'd always say to me after the first night, oh, that's the best bit done. It and is. not really the first night. The re you loved rehearsing, didn't you? And, like, I like, yeah, I like playing. Yeah. And you can't play once it's set and done. You, there's exactly. a, a bit of element of playing, but not it's, not, it's going on and saying the same thing for a year just doesn't interest me. I don't I know wanna, how they do it. No, no. And even, like, doing a, a run, like, if you, like, when you toured, like, with your characters, I'm sure at some point you're like, I'm a bit done with them now. I'm done with those characters. Yeah, the yeah, new yeah. ones now. But, need... but that, the thing is, you can add lib. Then I can do what Make I want. Up, yeah. Well, exactly, yeah. But yeah. Because I, mean, I remember, you know, we, we, I, I wanted to change something once. And they were like, no, you can't break the fourth wall and all that stuff. Can I tell a joke here? <laughs> <laughs> no, Simon. It's the end of the first act. You can't. Something we talk about a lot, I feel like um, a bit of a tangent, but obviously you say you've got two kids. Yeah. Do you think their upbringing has been quite different to yours because of what you've done and what that's been able to sort of... Opportunities um, you've been able to offer them. I think I tell you what is more I've noticed with them is that they've not had not being negative, but but they, they've not had the boredom. I think which is bad. I that's think it's bad for creativity. They don't. They're never bored, so they never had that thing of just sitting in a car for two hours without using, anything. Using imagination. Using your imagination. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're constantly. The endorphins, yeah. they're constantly on a phone or an iPad or the telly. You know, when they watch telly, they're like, fast forward it, fast forward it, fast forward it, fast forward it, you know. So, yeah, and also I made a point of not being like my parents. My parents were really like, no, you're going to learn the value of money and, you know, you go on a school journey, it would be £2 spending money and you go on the on the coach and all the kids off the estates and all have like 25 quid and you'd have two quid. Yeah. And they'd be like, why have you only got two quid? And I'd think, why have I only got two quid? So I would be probably a bit over generous with them as well. I think, you know, I, I certainly haven't taught them the value of money. Mind you, my parents didn't teach me either. I was no. still the same. The two pounds didn't work no. for you anyway. So. You, you just want to well, spend money. I think money as soon like... as you have to get a job, you learn it very quickly. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Do you... um? Like, are you still, to me, have such a working-class accent still, whatever that means, very London, London. accent. You, you do, like, when I met yeah. you, oh, he's working-class. Like, I would never have guessed that your dad might have been, I don't know, middle-class. Yeah, know? yeah. You know, um, have people ever made assumptions with you, like... Because I know it's happened with my mates, it's happened with me, like, assumptions on how you talk, like, if you do come across, I don't know, a middle-class kind of person that you're working with or anyone has anyone ever made assumptions with just how you talk that you're going to be a certain way yeah i imagine so yeah i think people do that all the time don't they i don't know i think you know one of the assumptions is that i i'm that's all i do is sort of blokey working classes and my yeah, voiceovers yeah. i ever get yeah you can avoid a bloke going oi 
Yeah. Drop that, put that back. You kind of think, you know, I'm capable of so much more, darling. I know. No, it's true, though. But you do get tarnished. You know, that that is my character, sort of blokey. Do you think as well there's a part of the audience, people that want to see that from you as well? That they'd almost be disappointed if you come on and really sort of playing a posh, toffee-nosed character. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) if you look at my characters, the ones that were like that aren't nearly as popular as the... Mm. Like, on when I do do those uh, birthday things, the, the... Video birthdays. It is ninety eight percent Dave Angel. Yeah, literally. Mm. Ni- people ask for that ni- all the yeah, time. 98% yeah, ninety eight percent Dave Angel, and you kind of think I should have done a sitcom with him a long time ago. <laughs> I, I moan all the time, going, oh, "I only get this, I only get yeah, working yeah. class stuff." But if I'm really honest, they are the characters that interest me the most. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, I do want to play other characters, of course, but I do, I lean beautifully into them, and 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 yeah. it's, you know and it's hard. Are as well. yeah. I remember you saying about King Gary and um, people saying to you like. God, they're quite extreme, those characters. Like, the people who don't live you were like, not at all. Because they're the people that we know. I mean, yeah, there's the heightened elements to them, but they're not people that we've not met. I know those people. No, no. You know yeah, those yeah, people. You yeah. know those people. They're well, not. people that ask that question just don't come from our world, and that's they'll never yeah, get it, will they? They'll never no, get it. They like. understand it. Well, they, they say Essex people, don't they? Essex they're people. They're anyone working class. Sorry, they say Essex. That was a TV reviewer, I said that. What? It was Essex. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and it wasn't at all King Gary. Yeah, it wasn't at all. So after the fast show, was it hard, like, after that sort of, I don't know, that that huge success, do you think, oh, I've had my moment now? That was my moment. At times you think that, and and other times you think maybe that's it, you know, and that was your big thing. And and, uh, Because I've I've still done the characters. I've always enjoyed doing them live, and, you know, I could get a fair decent living out of doing them live. Provided you get someone to come along and see it, see it. but, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, and that, that, that's changed. Obviously, you know, there was a time when I used to sort of when it when it was really popular. But yeah, you know, I remember I met someone who was it? I met that guy from who did the Wire. Uh, oh, Dominic. Um... The, the, the West. Yeah, Dominic West. You only, get, you only get one show, but it just turned into rubbish because he's had about eight. He's shows. had about twenty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so Fred West. So. You know, I think often that often that is the case, isn't it? If you look at people's careers, most people's careers, they do. They have one big hit, and mm. I, you meet people, and they say, "Oh, what are you doing now?" You know, and you just spend you spend about half an hour telling them about Brian Pearl and King Gary and all that, and then they yeah, go, yeah. "Yeah," and they go, "Yeah, the fast show is brilliant." <laughs> I had a great one the other day. I had a woman say, "My husband met you on a, on a plane when you were at the highest of your career." Oh my god! <laughs> oh such my a god, good that's life. a good one. She had no idea. God. She, she had no idea what she'd said. Not meant with any manners no, no, or no. rudeness, no. Like, no. no. And I was like, really good, ain't like that. <laughs> Spilt, you know. Oh, mate. Old egg yolk on the shirt. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. So, you know, you said you can't concentrate on anything for yeah. very long. I mean, I've worked with you, you can. Um, yeah, I've worked, uh, I how did you manage to write your book? <laughs> the book was easy because I knew all the stories. Right. And I told all the stories so many times. Right. Uh, as comedy stories, I I never really had to sit and think, you know, because I just uh, I knew what this, you know. There is a good story, you know. You got the balls to win there, and can I ask you about that? Yeah. Yeah, because mm. I know Hannah. I told Hannah about it, and you were like, oh, "What? Yeah, no, it, it was." How old know, were you when you went in? Nineteen. What was it? Did you, did you nick some? I was just—I was homeless and I was kind of nuts. I wasn't on drugs. I was used to, I used to just watch people play fruit machines, and I would steal money and play fruit machines. I put—I was literally obsessed with them, and I'd get caught. I'd nick a Fred Perry, and I'd get caught and go there, you know, go to the uh, police station, and then I'd just go and nick something else from another shop or car. And I did it once, twice in one week, and the magistrate said, "Well, you're being 
do that before me last week. I'm going to remind you in custody because you've got. I had no. I was home. I didn't have a fixed abode. They just remind you in custody. Right. So I was on a mom for three months. But again, that was kind of a bit like, oh, this is a weird, funny adventure. Right. Do you know what I mean? I did yeah, look yeah. at it a bit like that. Wow. I'd, uh, uh, at times, and other times, you were like, God, what's going on here? You know, how did this happen? But yeah. uh, things were so bad in my real life that it wasn't that bad. Does that sense? Yeah, that yeah, mean? yeah. yeah of course. I was just sort of ashamed of myself all the time. You know, everyone's yeah. doing well, the university, what are you doing? You've got no job. You just nick money and play fruit machines. You've got holes in your socks, you know. So... Some of it was horrific, and some of it was boring, and that—that that is prison, really. It's boring most of the time, but it's only—it was—it was a year, so it, you did a year, a I year in total. Yeah. Did it? Cha- do you feel like it changed you? Took me out to make a bed. <laughs> I better go. I, I mean, in you some ways, it's a good it year to learn that. <laughs> it, 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 taught, it did make me realise how lucky I was, and you don't want to be coming back in here. No. Yeah. And there's kids here who've been abused and yeah, from children's homes. Like, and, I mean, and they're, and they're, and they're horrendous horrific. stories. But that, that again, that part of the, you know, because people say, oh, you're a character comedian, you know. It's all about listening for me. Like, mm. I, you know, I always, if I meet a character, I'll just get them talking, you know, yeah, as much yeah. as possible. Yeah. And in there, you, you get a cellmate and, and you be, be a bit interesting, and you, know, you just get them to tell the story, you know. <laughs> My God. Um, but it wasn't like. You know, scum. It wasn't. It was some violent. I, you know, I had a few fights in there because I knew I had to have a couple, otherwise, yeah, I'd get picked on. But the longer you're in there, the more you become like Fletch. You know, because right, yeah. after you've been in there five months, you're like an old leg, aren't you? And some, and yeah. there are people coming in there all nervous, and yeah, yeah, you're like, all right, right, you know, whatever. I mean, luckily, I got into, got into comedy. So, yeah, because I was going to say, like, what did you do for work when you got out? Because presumably, oh, I, just, I think meant that I was obviously very damaged by it, but. I didn't feel it. I was. I just sort of came out and went, oh, you know, I'm great, I'm all right. I just got some muck jobs, what what would be termed muck jobs. I had a nice little council flat by the river and played pool. <laughs> Probably like a million pounds that it flat is. now. It is. Yeah, I bet, yeah. I gave it back to the council. And, and I just used to sort of do jobs. Yeah. Uh, I, was yeah. Get, I was getting older, 25, 26, 27, and I'm like, well, you know, what? what? But still thinking, what are you going to do, you know? And then yeah. suddenly, 29... It all sort of happened that quickly, so it's a crazy story, really. So you were 29 when you yeah. met Vic and Bob? 29, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, up to that point, wow, I never had Simon. penny. I'd never had more than sort of 100 quid. And how was having money? How did that... Well, I spent it a lot. I spent yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's the I was thing. Like that. You that. Yeah. do one or the other, don't you? <laughs> make they? it rain! No, yeah, I was there. Yeah, I was yeah. a bit like a rapper. <laughs> uh, I used to make it rain quite a lot, yeah, in the pub. <laughs> you know, as much as you can make it rain in the pub by crisp for everyone. So listen, Si, we're coming to the end of our celebration of you. Um, so just at the end of our, our show, we always like to ask our guests if they'd like to celebrate anyone today, a working class hero that they uh, would like to celebrate. Who would that be for you today? Um, I'm gonna do, I was going to do a, sort of a serious one. I'm going to do a silly one. And this is my, my grocer, John, right? He's my age and he, he's got a fruit and veg shop in Dollis Hill. And he started working on there when he was 12. He used to work at work on Saturday mornings when he was 12. And then I think he started working three, three to, days a week when he was 13 or something. And he's worked there from the age of 17, seven days a week. Or he has one day off now, up at the market, four o'clock. Oh, my God. And, like, it's just the stories he, he tells. And 
He said there used to be 17 different fruit and veg shops from between the two stations, and now there's just one, just his left. He's wow. still standing. And, all that. and he's still standing. He stores, he comes out of the whole time. And, yeah, but it's that obsessive desire. He is a workaholic. Yeah. You take him away from that environment, he literally doesn't know what to do with it. In fact, he, he got ill. He had, went on holiday and he got really ill. <laughs> he didn't really know. His body sort of shut down. But he's great. <laughs> but he had a day off. It's almost like, what is this? <laughs> he goes, he, he, quite, he's, he always comes up with his quotes and he goes, uh, you know, it's global warning, Simon. You warning? Know, it's global warning. I, I've been here about 40 years and weather ain't changed much. <laughs> And a lot of stuff that. like that. He, he, he's always trying to talk to you just as you're leaving. You know, you're just... <laughs> oh, God, yeah, yeah. You're going to watch the fight on Saturday and you're like... Ugh. But, you know, I, I think, you see, to me, the, you should do documentary about people like that. But they did one on the markets, didn't they? They did Smithfield and they yeah. did the yeah. fish. They were brilliant. Yeah, yeah. They're so strange, those people. That funny bloke just sold asparagus. <laughs> he had an old sort of wooden hand-painted asparagus thing. He's about 90. <laughs> And that's what he's done for his whole, yeah, his whole life. life. It's amazing that they yeah, get up it? in the middle of the night to go I and know. sell asparagus. That and one you find out they're all amazing. divorced, aren't they? They're all div- most of them got divorced. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of markets now where you're sort of indoor, sort of borough posh markets, a big oh, lumps of cheese yeah. in it, and like. But yeah. when you get when you see those real old market stores or the odd little things standing, it's such so rich the stories in there. What's yeah. the what's the what's the greengrocer's name? What's his name? John. His name is John. John. Yeah. Do you know his surname? John the Greengrocer. Let's just call him John the Greengrocer. He'd hate it if I told him his second name. It's not how fast the butchers. Just say John. Because he he wouldn't like to. He'd go, he's talking to me about me for. But yeah, he's funny. Thank you so much. That is, I can't believe we went to the same school. That's glitch. Thomas Tallis. Thomas Tallis rules, eh? Thank you very much for inviting me. And it's a very oh. interesting subject. Oh, thank tackled. you, Si. Oh, thanks so for coming so on. Thanks so much for coming on. And uh, like I said, like you're a massive, massive comedy legend and hero. Oh, yes, and I, I know you don't want to hear it, but it's very, very true. And um, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it, sure. mate. Thank you. Thanks very much. Oh my god, I'm actually still a bit blown away that I feel like me and someone might potentially have lived parallel lives. I did not know that. that the you same both bloody went to school. The same school. He was like working in the studio at the end of my road. I but mean, all those years apart, and the, that poor school is still the same. <laughs> oh, listen, you know, it has it had its many good parts as well. But well, yes. yeah, I mean, it turned out you, Simon, and the shoe bomber. So. I'm, I'm not sure the the, the school can uh, take me as to much credit, but Simon certainly. Do you know what's lovely about? doing this show for me like personally is that you know I'm getting obviously getting to talk to friends just on a different level I did not know I did not know he'd been in Borstal I did not know that that's amazing isn't it I mean there's a turnaround of a life yeah and do you know what it makes me think about a lot of the time I mean this is a little bit of a tangent I have to say but just how mainstream education fails so many brilliant talented amazing people yeah, and I just think that's a reminder to. I wish someone had told me that when I was younger and not quite fit in all those boxes. Any yeah. listeners out there who might still be going through that process, you know, there's all ways and means to get where you want to get to, isn't there? Some of the greatest people didn't. Yeah, you know. you're, you're absolutely right. You're so good at a wrap up. Am I? Yeah, I'm terrible at a wrap though. <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, God, right. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, Join us next week for a brand new guest. Are you excited, Hannah Chiswick? I was until you did that. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Thanks for joining us. And remember, go on, you say it. Keep it classy. Great. Should have seen her face when she did that. Classy. Classy.
Upper Class Podcast is produced by Michelle Farscott for Rangaby Productions, edited by James Torrance, with music by Tommy Music. Just to let you know, folks, the Proper Class podcast is now going weekly. And whilst I've got you here, please don't forget to like and subscribe. Spread the word. Tell your friends, neighbours, whoever will listen. We've also got an Instagram page. Ooh, get us. And you can follow all the news and goss at the Proper Class podcast. And if you haven't nodded off yet, we've also gone and got ourselves an official email. So do get in touch. The email is properclasspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, folks. And remember, keep it classy. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.